Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there was born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with him whom he has pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Take a seat. Uh, The birth of a child, of any child, is a glorious thing, and it's something uh, worth celebrating, which is why we have birth announcements. Now we have everything, right? When someone's pregnant with a baby, they have all the fancy announcements on Facebook, you know, and, and then they even have gender reveal parties. But it used to be just there's an announcement when the, when the baby is uh, born. And, um, and it used to be, you still ha- this happens every once in a while, you would get an announcement in the mail. They kind of look like wedding invitations, uh, pretty fonts, a nice card stock, all the official information, full name, uh, the parent's name, date of the birth, measurements. We're, we're all obsessed with measurements for some reason. What are you going to do with that information? Um, anyhow, uh, it's all very official, and, uh, and I think it's good. Uh, life is good, and we should celebrate new life, always. Uh, we should proclaim it. The birth of children is something worth making a big deal about. That being said, I was irritated by all the excitement and pomp around the birth of the British royal baby several years ago. Prince George of Cambridge. He's the uh, first son of Prince William and third in line uh, to the British throne. And it was inescapable. Wherever you went, everyone was talking about it on TV, the internet, newspaper. I remember people talking about it at work. Um, And I kept thinking, did we not fight a war to stop caring about British babies or British kings anyhow? But Nonetheless, uh, the birth of a king is a big deal. The quality of a kingdom is directly tied to the quality of its leaders. So the birth of a baby is the future of a family. They bear your name. 
But the birth of a king is a future of a kingdom, of a a nation. And consequently, it's it's, uh, accompanied by more intense celebration. Perhaps you've seen uh, the children's film, The Lion King, right? It opens with shots of the kingdom, right? The beauty of the Africa and all this. And it slowly moves to all these animals gathering um, to a, a lofty rock, uh, which the infant prince is presented in dramatic fashion to, uh, what's his name? What's that guy's name? It's some circle of life song. But anyway... Um, Everyone bows their knees and celebrates. It's, it's really epic. And uh, an announcement, it's an announcement and celebration befitting a king. It really is. And in our text, we have the birth announcement of the king of kings. And it's quite different from that which Prince George or Simba received. It tells us much more about the nature of the kingdom of God. So there's a couple things I want us to consider this morning. First, let's consider the setting and audience to which this announcement was given. It says, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And the setting is a dark field in the night. Think of all the places that this could have taken place. It's not in the temple. It's not even the outer courts. It's not in Solomon's portico. It's not in Jerusalem. It's a field outside of Bethlehem. It's basically the middle of nowhere. And not only is it the middle of nowhere, it's night. We live in an age of electricity. There are street lights. The bright lights from big buildings light up the night sky. I enjoy stargazing. I do it a couple of nights a week. And I'm always frustrated by the interference of light pollution in Moore, South Carolina. Moore is not exactly a big city. But in the ancient world, things shut down. At nighttime, especially when we got outside of major cities. It wasn't exactly safe uh, to be out at night. So making an announcement in a field at nighttime isn't exactly a prime setting for a royal baby announcement. Or so you would think. But you might be able to wrap your mind around it if the recipients of the announcements were some people of great importance, right? Perhaps some Greek king or leaders happen by providence to be out in a dark field. That can make sense of it according to our human logic. But no, just some shepherds. And shepherds, as I'm sure you know, wasn't exactly a high-status vocation. It was a dangerous job. You were often in the elements with sheep. You had to be to feed them and protect them from animals and robbers. And dangerous jobs often attract rough crowds. You ever watch any of those reality TV shows or have an uncle that works in the trades? You know what I'm talking about. It's a rough work. Thus, shepherds didn't always have the best reputations. And I think we can make, also make sense of the announcement being out in the dark field to shepherds if there was like a large number of shepherds, right? Maybe it's just a huge gathering of people, some late-night shepherd gathering. But no, it was just a few shepherds, just a couple. So the royal announcement is given in the middle of nowhere to a couple of nobodies. Why? Why? Here's why. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, 
Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews the stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God loves to make a mockery of the pomp of man. Man thinks himself something great, but he's just a bag of dust riddled with sin that springs from a black heart. He's nothing, and yet he honors himself, all the time honoring himself. The kings of the world, whether they be political or cultural, make no mistakes, we still have royalty in this country. They make much of their awesomeness with exuberant and vain displays. They say, look at us, aren't we great? And what do we say? We say, well, uh, wow, aren't they great? I wish I could be like them. That's exactly what we say. Well, but what does God say? God says, I will make foolish the wisdom of the world. I will send the greatest king in a way that demonstrates the true position of man. What we have here in the announcement of the Messiah is the beginning of Jesus' emptying of himself. It's the humiliation of Christ. Calvin puts it well. But this, too, is part of the emptying of himself, not that any part of Christ's glory should be taken away by it, but that it should lie in concealment for a time. Again, as Paul reminds us, that the gospel is mean according to the flesh, that our faith should stand in the power of the Spirit, not in the lofty words of human wisdom or in any worldly splendor. So this inestimable treasure has been deposited by God from the beginning in earthen vessels, that he might more fully try the obedience of our faith. If then we desire to come to Christ, let us not be ashamed to follow those whom the Lord, in order to cast down the pride of the world, has taken from among the dung of cattle to be our instructors. You are not great. No one is great but Christ. And look how he comes to us wrapped in flesh, hated by the rules of this world, and announced to a bunch of nobodies. So, brethren, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself... By becoming, uh, excuse me, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You guys want an application? Raise your hand if you want an application. You want an application for this? Okay, good. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That's the application. Be humble. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, or he will humble you. Now, let's consider the content 
of the royal announcements in verses 10 through 14. First, the angels say, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So Christ isn't just the king. He is, by all means. But he's also a rescuing king. He's our Savior. We cannot lose, lose this in our message. As we try to recover the law, recover the sovereignty of God, recover um, the beauty of God reigning over all things, we can't lose that Jesus is our Savior. He's here to save us from our sin and the just wrath of God. And that's good news. That is the cause for great joy. The goodness and greatness of the saving work of Christ is lost on us when we think of ourselves as high and mighty, when we think of ourselves as righteous, when we think of ourselves as better than somebody else. You are tainted in every which way. You are not better than anyone else, in that sense at least. And Christ came for the sick, not the healthy. Are you sick? Do you know how sick you are? I love the first uh, three chapters of Romans. I mean, I love Romans. Who doesn't? It's very logical and analytical. It's one of the easiest books to outline. What I like about it, it, those first three chapters, is how clear uh, it is that we need a Savior. In chapter 1, Paul starts by exposing the wickedness of the Gentiles, of the pagans. And uh, he says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer... God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And at this point, the Jewish readers are feeling pretty good. They do hate dirty Gentiles. So Paul turns his attention to them. Chapter 2, he says, But if you bear the name Jew, and rely upon the law, and boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who says that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you. Just as it is written, just check yourself. Lest someone think that they somehow escape these two categories of Gentiles and Jew. Paul makes it even clearer. He says, For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. Not even one. There's none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. 
Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps are under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Dark and depressing, right? It's dark and depressing. Sin is dark and depressing. And Paul is a jeweler. You know, they lay out that black velvet before they show off the shininess of the diamond. And that's what he's doing right before he gets to the hope. He wants to bring you down low. Remove any hope that you somehow can stand on your own. And then he says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there's no distinction for all sin and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Rejoice, brethren. You aren't left in your sins. You have a Savior. If the gospel is good or joyful to you, it's because, if it's not good or joyful to you, it's because you don't know yourself. God's word is a, a mirror to show you exactly who you are. That's why people hate, you know, hearing the word preached. It's like uh, you always, as a husband, have to be very careful of what pictures of your wife you post online. <laughs> want to make sure she has a chance to get ready. Um, so we don't, want the, we don't want to look into the word because it shows us. Who we are. And that's why we preach sin here every week. Think of how Paul talked to the Gentiles and the Jews. And, and when he's taking them down, their long lists, he just keeps pounding at them. He keeps going at it hard. And good preaching does that. It should at least. Where it just brings you to the end of yourself. Where you go through this like, oh, amen, amen. Now, hey now. Oh, pump the brakes. And then... If it really is working on your heart, it breaks you up and, and you sink down and say it's true. Right? That's the whole emotional process that we go through. We bring the darkness so you might rejoice in the light of the gospel. That's why we have to preach sin. Churches that preach sin, don't preach sin, what, what do they need a savior for? Saving from What? The glory of the gospel is that God has sent Jesus in his humiliation to save us from this terrible situation we're in. Now consider also the content of the heavenly hymn. Uh, it says, uh, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And the first line, uh, glory to God in the highest, there's some debate exactly what he's talking about, but I like what Ryle says. He says, Now the highest degree of glory to God has come by the appearing of his Son, Jesus Christ, in the world. He, by his life and death on the cross, will glorify God's attributes, 
justice, holiness, mercy, and wisdom as they never were glorified before. Creation glorified God, but not so much as redemption. The coming of Christ is the height of God's glory. That's why Christ is at the heart of our message. That's why we're always talking about him, all the time. Glory to God in the highest. This is, we should be talking about the whole message during Christmas. Thinking through all of what's accomplished. Uh, the heart of the gospel is the cross. Christ came to go to the cross, and Christ, through Christ's cross, we're reconciled to him. And through his death on the cross, uh, he then rises from the dead. That's the heart of the gospel. It's amazing what God has done, that God loves us. The biggest question of all time isn't why good things hap- or bad things happen to good people, right? That's not a real category. There are no good people. Why in the world has such a good thing happened to people so terrible as us? Bad people. It has. Glory to God. Hallelujah, right? Praise God. And then on the second line, it says, On earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. And I don't think we understand peace. When we think of peace, we think of the absence of conflict, right? I mean, fathers should know, parents should know. I'm like, just because it's quiet in my house doesn't mean that it's truly peaceful. Actually, when it's quiet in my house, I start looking around like, wait a second. I'm enjoying this way too much. There may be a fire somewhere. Um, The absence of noise and conflict and fighting, that's not peace. The word shalom or peace can mean a lot. It can refer to uh, the end of hostilities, but also can describe health and soundness and safety and prosperity. Barclay, who I don't always trust, but this is a good quote. He says, in the East, when one man says to another, shalom, Uh, which is the same as peace. He does not mean that he wishes for the other man only the absence of evil things. He wishes for him the presence of all good things. In the Bible, peace means not only freedom from all troubles, it means enjoyment of all good. True peace is central to the mission of Christ. If you remember in... uh, what I read to you from Romans 3, says they do not know the peace of God. They don't have any peace. Part of being um, away from God is not knowing peace. The pagan does not have it. So true peace is, is only can be accomplished by Christ. It comes from salvation, um, from his work of salvation, by which he makes a man whole. Before our Lord was born, Zacharias prophesied that the newborn would bring salvation and the remission of sins to people. And then he says he would guide our feet into the way of peace. And then again in Luke, uh, Jesus summarizes salvation as the things that make for peace. When Christ left his disciples, he said, my peace I give to you, that in me you may have peace. In Acts chapter 10, the gospel is equated with preaching peace through Jesus Christ, Acts chapter yeah, 10. And later in Ephesians, it's called the gospel of peace. Again, in Ephesians, Paul says that Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So then the enmity that once existed between God and sinful man has been eliminated by the cross. We believers have been reconciled to God by faith. Romans 5 says, having been justified by faith, we have peace 
with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Christ's work of redemption lies at the foundation of all true, lasting peace because he makes peace with God and by changing our hearts enables us to have peace with other men. Being at peace with God spiritually is only something that comes through God's grace. Christ is the Prince of Peace. And he causes so much trouble, though, doesn't he? Even his birth is surrounded with so much trouble. And again, we don't understand peace. We think of peace as the absence of conflict. And we, always, we, we know that false prophets are always saying, Peace, peace, where there's no peace. But the peace the gospel brings, is uh, it works at first like a hot compress. You know what a hot compress is? When you take like a rag and get it really hot and stick it somewhere to pull the infection to the surface. So peace always starts with that infection coming to the surface. Peace reveals what's really going on. And that's why we have to preach sin. We have to preach the law. The law reveals that we're at conflict with God. We all, it also, as we preach that, it reveals when we're at conflict with each other. Uh, you've been in a house with your spouse, and it's been peaceful. But it hasn't been peace. There's been conflict. And then one of you has to get the guts. Hopefully a husband will do it. But one of you has to do it to reveal that there's not peace in this household. Right? You've got to pull the conflict to the surface and start to deal with it. But the world, the world rather just cover over it because what lies at, what, what starts battles, what's at the heart of everything is our, is our love of sin. So we can't ever make peace because we love our sin. So when the gospel breaks us down, makes us humble, frees us from our sin, suddenly there is a way forward to have peace. That's what Christ brought into the world, a way for us to be at peace with God. And peace with each other. And that is our message. We're preaching the whole uh, wholeness of, preach, of peace. Where not only uh, we're, get, we're, not, we're getting rid of conflict, but also bringing that wonderful fellowship that exists among believers. It is so good to have fellowship with people that hate sin and love righteousness. It is sweet fellowship. That's what Christ brings into the world. He's the Prince of Peace. It's interesting. See where the gospel has had the most effect. That is where it's safest. Right? Here in America, people just, we don't appreciate how safe it is in our country. I was reading a terrible story of some people that went to a wicked pagan country and, and got killed. And they had just posted out like how Christians and Muslims are all the same. Look, they're just like us. And they go to the Muslim country Seriously, the next day, and, and, and are murdered. No. No, it's not just like our message. They have no Prince of Peace. We have the Prince of Peace. And where the Prince of Peace has been exalted in the West, uh, we have a lot of uh, societal peace. But it's starting to go away because we're not preaching the gospel anymore. We're not calling people to repentance. If we want to see any nation, any place be great, any church be great, we have to preach the whole gospel. We have to preach uh, the, the gospel of peace that Christ brought. And lastly, I want us to look at the, uh, the end results of this announcement. And verses 18 and 20 mostly. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen 
just as had been told them. So right after, you know, angels tell you, go do something in the middle of the, I can't even imagine. Will we get to know what this looked like? I, I hope we do in heaven. I don't know if there's like some heavenly TiVo that allows you to go look through past events, but it would be interesting to see. It's, it, I mean, at first it's just a, an angel or some angels, and then it's the whole host of heaven singing this hymn. And they obey right away, as I, I would hope you would. And they go and they find Mary and Joseph, and, and there, there's the infant Messiah. And, and then after they leave, they tell everybody. And they tell everybody the things they've heard and seen and uh, glorify and praising God. That's the result of understanding the, what it means to have a true royal baby born, a real king that is going to usher in true peace, that's going to deliver you from your sins. It leads you to preaching the gospel. It leads you to telling everyone about it. I was, um, we love to see this church grow. So from time to time, I read church growth, you know, uh, materials very skeptically, okay? But I was reading one, and they were talking about how to get people to preach the gospel more. And I thought, you know, we just, I don't know, guilt trip you. Uh, there's all sorts of ways we can do it. But, um, what they were saying is that people that confess their sins more, churches that urge people to confess their sins in the service and in their own, uh, they tend to see more evangelistic outreach because people who are uh, experiencing the goodness of God's forgiveness, being reconciled to God, want to talk about it a lot. And that's what's going on with these shepherds. That, so the best way to grow a church is for people just to hate their sin and revel in the goodness of the gospel. So if we're not having people come to church, it can only mean one thing. That we are not uh, confessing our sin. We are not talking to people about what happened here in the Gospels. We're not telling them about Jesus. We're not being like these shepherds. And these shepherds just had part of it. Yes, they saw angels. I understand that's amazing. But you have the whole scripture. And we've seen what God's been doing through history. We should be like these shepherds. Ryle says, may our spirits be like theirs. May we ever believe implicitly and act promptly and wait for nothing when the path of duty is clear. Go and tell everyone. Be a witness to the gospel. People will get saved. Like you. Like you. You once... We're blind and lost. It's, some of us grew up in the church, some of us didn't. I did not grow up in the church. It's almost like that life before salvation didn't exist. It's, it's a fog. It's a mist. It's like monochromatic, and now I see in color. I had such a hard heart. I didn't believe anything. The gospel was presented to me, and I just didn't submit to it. And then one day, the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of his word of a nobody, broke my heart, and I cried like a sissy. <laughs> and then I just asked God for his forgiveness. No arguments were presented to some guy preach the gospel. God will work through your words. He will save your coworkers, your neighbors, your family members. 
He will bring uh, the ones you love into his kingdom, but he works through means. He'll work through the preaching of the gospel. So be like these shepherds. You're going to be around tables. You're going to have awkward conversation. I think I said this last week. You can talk about whether or not that wall is going to get built, or you can talk about the wall of separation that's been broken through by Christ. You can preach that. If you're going to make things awkward, make it awkward about Jesus. Right? So you're probably not going to avoid awkwardness. So just go for it. Just go for it. Be him. Be that, be that guy. You always hear people say, don't be that guy. That usually means you're doing something good. Be that guy. It's amazing. Maybe some of you can testify to this. Folks that you preach the gospel to, reject it. And then years down the road, They'll send you an email or give you a call. Hey, I've I've got this problem in my marriage. I've got this problem with my kids. Can I talk to you about it? You may not see immediate results, but uh, God does work through uh, just little things. My friend Otto, he hitchhiked. You know, all these guys were hitchhiking in the 70s. He's one of those guys that went across the nation. And he says the way he came to believe the gospel was that all these Christians kept picking him up, right, one after another, would preach the gospel to him. And he's like, oh, yeah, thanks for the ride. And just slowly but surely, they, they wore him down. And he just repented and believed the gospel. God will work through it. Go into the world, leave here today, and tell everyone you see about Jesus. Always talk to them about the gospel. Bring it up constantly. Be weird. I want this church to be weird for the right reasons, right? Not because of your opinions on food, Right? Be weird because we don't, we don't care about social uh, pressure. We're just going to tell everyone like the shepherds did. And remember, people didn't respect the shepherds, but they marveled at the things they heard. Oh, God is good, isn't he? Be humble. Repent of your sins. Believe the gospel. Rejoice in the Lord. Father God, You have given us such a treasure in your son, Jesus. We have been redeemed from our sin, brought into your kingdom, sat on thrones. We do not deserve this, Father. Keep us humble. I pray that we would not uh, participate in the vanity of the world. Uh, We would hate it, turn from it, and uh, always be honoring you, Lord. We pray that we would be a church that preaches your whole gospel all the time. Father, give us boldness to proclaim it to our loved ones, especially our family members that knew us when we weren't always walking with you in a way that gave you glory. God, I pray that we would not let that get in the way. And we do ask, Lord, that you would work through the word preach to bring your elect into the church, in the church generally, but into this church, Trinity Presbyterian God. Add to our numbers the faithful. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.